What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast, a weekly show where we talk about video games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jared Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. How's it going? And our special guest today, for the second time coming back to the show, Chess Hall of Plus 7 Intelligence. Woo! How's it going, hey, Chess? everybody. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to the show across podcast services such as iTunes or SoundCloud, as well as your, our YouTube channel where you can watch the video version of each episode. Have thoughts, questions, or suggestions? Email us at teamchatpodcast at gmail.com or find us online at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Finally, we are a completely listener-supported show, so if you're enjoying and really loving what we're creating, please check out our Patreon page where you can support the show. And in return, we'll give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before their general Tuesday release and access to our private Team Chat Podcast Discord server. If not, that's totally fine. We'll keep making the show week after week and bringing you great gaming content. Find out more at patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast. And a special thank you to all of our current patrons who help make Team Chat Podcast possible. So, Chess, you came on uh, the show, uh, almost, I was actually looking, it was almost about a year ago when you came on for the mm-hmm. first time. Wow. Uh, and it was right before your podcast started, uh, which, for everyone who doesn't know, is Plus 7 Intelligence. Uh, so, for those... Listeners who don't, uh, who didn't listen to the first episode, don't know who you are. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself, the show, and uh, yeah, kind of the the goal and idea behind it. Absolutely. So, like you said, the name of the show is Plus Seven Intelligence, and it's the show about how games impact people. Uh, I wanted to make a show that was about video games, but really about how games influence people, how video games are changing the world, and all sorts of surprising ways because there's so many people who play games and there's so many people who have been playing games for decades and so inevitably video games have crept into every area of life and i feel like people talk about them here and there but i wanted to bring together all of the different aspects of life that have been uh profoundly impacted by video games people whose lives have changed because of video games um you know, entire fields of study that have been revamped because of video games. Um, just so many different stories about the intersection between real life and video games. So uh, that's what I started Plus Seven Intelligence uh, for, and uh, I think that's that's I think I've done a decent job of uh, fulfilling that promise so far. Awesome. Yeah, I've really enjoyed uh, a lot of the episodes that I've that I've listened to. And so you're. So what what do you think of of what you've done so far with season one? What who do you think was your favorite interview episode or topic that you or a topic that you did? Because like oh, I know well, you kicked it off with like uh, I, one of that was I was fairly surprised with it was like the video game archaeologist. You know hmm. that was your that was your episode one and I, and I was that was a really interesting episode. But yeah, so I've been curious to know like with all the people that you've talked to, who's been your your favorite one? Yeah, Andrew Reinhardt, the uh, video game archaeologist. Well, one of the video game archaeologists. It turns out there's a few of them out there now. Yeah, I wanted to make him episode one because it was just so surprising to me and so surprising to other people. Um, but yeah, picking a favorite, that's pretty difficult. You know, it's like picking a favorite kid. Right. Um, even if Easy you have for one, my you don't family, say me. And broadcast Come on. It. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed, I believe it was episode three with uh, Josue Cardona and uh, he is uh, he started Geek Therapy Uh, it's a podcast network and he is a counselor who uses video games with his counseling clients and the the process of how he talks about video games with his clients how people open up to him and how that enables 
better counseling, better therapy because of video games um, and the way that he plays with his clients. He prescribes games for them to play at home and uh, he even makes games with them with uh, simple tools like Twine as a uh, as a, 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 a means to therapy. And it was just astounding. And, uh, you know, anytime you interview someone in the therapy field, it ends up being a therapy session for you anyway. So right. it was nice. It got to be a free session for me as well. <laughs> awesome. So you've you wrapped up season one of your show and now season two is about to kick off on June 11th. So, uh, so what is kind of the focus and the, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is somewhat of the focus of, of season two. So what, what season, what can everyone expect, uh, going into season two of plus seven intelligence? Right. So with season one, I kind of wanted it to be that when you tuned in, you had absolutely no idea what you're going to listen to. Um, you know, I'm talking to an archeologist, I'm talking to a counselor, I'm talking to a teacher, I'm talking to a coach. I'm talking to a game designer and I just wanted to show all the surprising, amazing, different areas, the variety of, uh, of the ways that video games have impacted people's lives. But for season two, I wanted to drill down into some topics that are really important. So I picked three, three topics that I'm going to do seven, uh, episodes each. So wow. three different series to, to make up, uh, the season. And those topics are, video games and mental health, games and education, and games and social change. So for each of those, I'm talking to um, to people from uh, still, still, still a variety of different areas for each, but I want to drill down into those topics and see how, um, you know, take, take a more directed approach to looking at them and, you know, getting people to, to really have a, uh, you know, more in-depth conversation about video games and mental health. For instance, you know, you might hear one, you might read one article about some study about video games and mental health, and then you'll go on about your way and maybe there'll be another one, you know, down the road. Uh, so I feel like a lot of people don't understand how big of a deal it is for, um, uh, for how video games can be helpful to mental health, uh, what we know about video games and mental health. And um, so that's just one example of uh, one of the three topics that we'll be diving into. Nice. Awesome. So, so yeah, so that's what kind of what we were going to talk about then today is, um, is I believe we decided on social change and um, totally blanking on the second one. Mental Uh, health. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. (laughs) Totally blanked on that. Uh, So yeah, social change and and mental health with games. Uh, So what were kind of the, the drivers or the inspirations for wanting to choose those, those two topics specifically. Yeah. So mental health, that's definitely something that's, uh, very important and personal to me. I, I went through a time in my life where I was depressed and I played tons and tons and tons of video games and kind of looking back on that and, you know, trying to piece together what that means about me, uh, what that means about my mental health, how I can, um, how, how I can do better in the future. And what I've learned through that, that kind of spiraled into um, researching into video games more. And that's that experience is what led to Plus 7 Intelligence in the first place. And uh, I, I just know there's so many other gamers out there who have been ridiculed for their gaming behavior, who may feel 
uh, embarrassed or ashamed of or guilty of how much they've played. And I wanted to um, bring together people who could talk about all the different complicated facets of uh, people's relationship between games and mental health. So I have uh, some more uh, counselors and psychologists who use video games as part of mental health therapy. And then I also have someone who's actually an advocate for um, uh, for game addicts and someone who helps people to get out of gaming addiction. So I have uh, so I'm taking it from a variety of, of perspectives because it's uh, I think a lot of it is wonderful, but it is a complicated subject. And then uh, and then, like I mentioned before, with video games and social change, uh, like I mentioned before, there's so many people you know it's interesting when people play video games it's there are people who play try games and then they kind of bounce off of them but the people who play games and like games they don't stop playing games they will play for decades you know people who play baseball play for you know a few years maybe a decade and then you know it kind of fades out for instance video games is pretty unique and the people who like video games never stop playing. Um, I actually stopped asking my guests about the first video game they played because almost everyone has been playing games since they were, you know, eight years old. Yeah. And it's just, and if people have been playing games that long, it just has to have ripple effects into society, the way we talk, the way we think. And I wanted to highlight in particular games, uh, or social change movements uh, related to games uh, that are uh, helping people on a large scale that that people might not be aware of or be aware of exactly how deep uh, the the DNA of video games is in uh, in in society and how it's changing. So so that's how I arrived at those two, and then video games and education, um, which we talked a little bit last time when we were on the show. Uh, or when I was on on team chat, uh, it's it's just something that's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, it's it's incredible. Uh, even in the last year, there's been so many developments in education and video games. Uh, the the number of different programs, the the depth of programs uh, for video games in classrooms, and the knowledge we have about it has has just grown a lot. So that's just something that's uh, that's absolutely huge. Awesome. Awesome. So circling back a little bit to one of the earlier things you said in, uh, just a moment ago regarding gaming and mental health and how it can be used in therapy-type sessions, in the mm-hmm. research that you've done so far or the people that you've talked with so far, have you noticed any common threads or common trends of what types of games are being more or less prescribed in those situations? Are there any particular games that seem to work as a really good facilitator for therapeutic release for certain people? Yes. So um, more important often than exactly what game or what type of games is how you play the game. So it's, so playing games have uh, a lot of benefits. They allow you to connect with other people. They give you an opportunity to face a challenge and then overcome it. And that experience of, uh, empowerment that you feel when you overcome a challenge is very beneficial. So that applies to many, many different games. Um, I actually just wrapped up an interview where we talked about this more in depth 
Um, so this is a little bit of a sneak preview for, for that episode. Yes. But, yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, some of the research right now uh, that is developing has been showing that uh, RPGs, role-playing games, are very valuable uh, for mental health um, for a variety of reasons. Like I mentioned, the challenge in RPGs, you have uh, a huge amount of freedom so you can express yourself and you can um, you can try out ideas you have. You can be creative that way and explorative. And um, in particular, some of the games that were highlighted were um, uh, two games or two game series that uh, are very similar, actually, uh, in many regards. And that's Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Um, Let me some Dragon Age. We don't. We don't know exactly why, but uh, you know the the depth of the storytelling in, com- in combination with you know solid gameplay mechanics, uh, and then all those things I mentioned before about RPGs in general, uh, people find them very therapeutic for, uh, for instance, dealing with depression, uh, being able to go into a different world where you you are more empowered and you have different ways of connecting with people and you have a different, you know, you have an entirely different relationship with the world around you that can be very beneficial because it gets you out of that negative depressive uh, state and that in and of itself is valuable. Um, so, so like I said, uh, there's many different games that can provide benefits of different types, but those are a couple games that have kind of risen to the top Um as being very common. Uh, and of course, everyone has uh, games that they enjoy in particular, and that uh, and, and that can influence uh, which games that you personally find uh, beneficial for your mental state. It's really interesting that Dragon Age and Mass Effect are the two that seem to be so popular. And one of the key things that I think of when I think of those two games isn't even necessarily necessarily related to their hard RPG elements like crafting or large inventory system or your right. class or leveling up. When I think of Dragon Age and Mass Effect, the number one thing I think the, the number one thing I think of is how both of those games strongly emphasize your ability to either build or burn relationships with other people within those games. So I'd be really Mm. interested to see how that relationship building aspect and how things from romance to just friendship are key components of how people react so strongly to those games. Because every time I see something about Mass Effect or even Dragon Age, it's like, you can romance all the hot aliens. And I'm like, (laughs) yes! Finally. <laughs> oh, what I've always oh, wanted. This is what I've always wanted. And it may not be that silly of an approach, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear that that's one of the main reasons that a lot of people find those games so therapeutic because especially if you're struggling with depression, one of the things that depression frequently does to people's lives is it can destroy their relationships with other people and their relationships with themselves even. So the ability to have a more controlled and directed relationship building approach, I think probably is highly valuable to somebody who's needing uh, a little bit more of a contained approach to that kind of social interaction. Yeah. Hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, that's interesting because, uh, I've played a lot of mass effect and, um, uh, actually rediscovered dragon age recently. And, and one of the, um, kind of, uh, along the lines of what you were saying in, in those games, it, they purposely 
go out of their way to kind of make your character uh, kind of an underdog and also someone that people don't initially like very much. Right. <laughs> so, so like that process of, okay, there's this alien who's on my team. They don't like me. They don't trust me. And then that process of like building trust or building trust with some organization or some new planet. Um, I can see how that, uh, that can be something that's very valuable to people. Um, you know, cause building relationships is really hard and it's nice to, uh, you know, play a game where you get to, you know, go through the motions and have some success in that. Yeah. And also I would think too, that just the, the nature of RPGs too, and in, in the sense of, especially in the ones of like Dragon Age and, and Mass Effect, uh, I'll speak more to Dragon Age because that's the one I'm more familiar with, but you know, games like that, or even the Witcher three and things like that, the, these games usually too have this big, massive open world, which just allows us, you know, al- allows for this in, intense level of discovery exploration and and just it's something that you truly can lose yourself in and if you and if that's what you're needing and looking for or needing like that escape as it were you know that can that's an incredible benefit of of playing that type of game as well and for a lot of people that are struggling with mental health and especially with uh you know really bad depression one of the main struggles of people with depression is just leaving the house just mm-hmm. doing anything at all so to be able to have that really exploratory approach to oh, any world, even if it's not your world, even if it's not going outside and taking a walk, being able to walk through Breath of the Wild, for example, it's better than going outside. <laughs> it's literally better than going out into the it's real beautiful world. And it's not it's hot. beautiful. It's not hot. As long as it doesn't rain while you're trying to climb a mountain, you're fine. <laughs> Almost nothing bad can happen to you as long as you're not actively running into danger. So absolutely, I can see how that would be tremendously appealing to anyone, whether or not you do or do not have mental health struggles mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know the the term escapism gets thrown around sometimes with a negative connotation but uh sometimes escapism or a little bit of escape from you know the way you're feeling that day a uh, really bad experience you've had sometimes that's what you need you mm-hmm. know as long as you are you know as long as you come back to that problem and you deal with it you know escaping from it Getting some space from it is can be very valuable, and video games are incredible at immersing you in a new world, and you know a new world with new rules uh, that looks different, uh, that can completely make you forget about uh, your problems for a bit, and uh, sometimes that's very valuable. Yeah, well, I mean, and there are even days that like not comparing this to, to people who have, you know, serious cases of depression or stuff like that, but just like the days that I have that are a, a rough day, a hard, you know, a hard day project that I was working on didn't go the way I wanted it to, you know, feeling really stressed out from like uh, either a lot of, you know, big deadlines or whatever. And some, and some days there, you know, I'm experiencing that and I just want nothing else than to sit down and just, it's a de-stressor, a decompressor for me, for, yeah. you know? Um, and usually it is like, okay, I'm just going to play, you know, I'm going to get lost in the Witcher for a little while or I'm, or Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, th- something like that, that I just, I, I can, the only thing I have to think about right now is just enjoying this thing in front of me. And that, and, you know, it's a great way sometimes just to decompress from a hard, stressful day or even not when you're not even to decompress just to have a whole lot of fun because, you know, a whole lot of fun. That's what they're good at doing too. 
Although sometimes, and this is something else that Chess already mentioned, uh, you can be having so very much fun that your gaming can start to get in the way of your regular life. Yeah. And you can become, of course, addicted to the gaming experience. So this is a topic that we've we tried. tried a long time ago to... Didn't we come back to we, it? We, we, we did our best. We tried We're just, just not as experts hard in this as area. we could. Yeah, um, but we weren't able to approach the subject of gaming addiction with any kind of intelligence or finesse or because concentrated no approach. We needed plus seven intelligence. Because to be we able needed to talk plus about seven it. intelligence to be <laughs> able to show us the light. Low. Yeah, so in terms of gaming addiction, this is obviously something that I feel gets very much sensationalized and occasionally blown out out of proportion in rare instances when it does make the news or actually you know gets onto the mainstream news feeds of whatever internet thing is happening that day but that oftentimes glosses over the reality of gaming addiction and how it affects normal people on a day-to-day basis so is that something that you can tell us a little bit more about because jared and i we're just not good we, at we it. We like sat down and we started talking about it, and we and were like, "Well, just, what?" It, we looked up obviously oh. like definitions of different things like that, but then we could never. You don't want to be the one who throw, who <laughs> no. like you know as is like don't you know the first among you that's in like throw the first stone. It's just like you know. I mean, there, I'm not saying I've never been addicted to a game before, but I don't know what that necessarily would look like. Obviously, you read the the horror stories like Morgan was saying of like people who played games for 48 hours in an internet cafe and dropped dead. Right. Okay, that's obviously bad. And but, those are the but then you also have the that parent. are the only ones that ever make the news. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm trying to but say. But then you also have on the other end of the spectrum the parent who's like, my son is playing Fortnite three hours a day. They're addicted. Well, <laughs> are they? Or, but like, is there, or is it just the thing that they're in, into right now and you don't understand the hobby? Well, so are they? Because that is kind of a question that may or may not be able to be answered by sheer time frames. You know, how well, yeah. many hours are being put into it. So hmm. what are your thoughts on that, Chiz? Yeah, so I mean don't too don't feel too bad about not uh not feeling like you have a concise or coherent answer. I mean we some do not of my have guests have said those. categorically gaming addiction should not be a term. Uh and others have said I don't understand people that don't believe in gaming addiction. So there there really isn't a uh one driving answer. I mean what I would say is uh, I definitely agree that the term addiction is is used too much, and I feel bad because sometimes I use it uh, c- casually when I don't really mean it. I think that um, I think that addiction should be reserved to a clinical definition. I, it's very hard to you know revert you know change the 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 words that we use around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because like even recently the World Health Organization and their uh, uh, looking at categorizing uh, internet gaming disorder, you know, they don't call it an addiction, they call it a disorder. Um, I think that things like that are important. You know, there are people who absolutely do feel trapped by games, and to them, addiction is the perfect word. Um, you know, I can't speak for every case, but we should definitely, you know, take them seriously and, you know, hope that, you know, help them and try to find a way to, um, you know, help them get the, the assistance they need. Um, in, from my experience, any time that, that video game, uh, that video games have become a problem, there's almost every time I've ever seen, I can't really think of any, uh, other example 
is it's the video games have become a problem because it's the gaming is a symptom of some other problem in that person's life. You know, that person starts getting depressed and then they try to cope with video games. And before you know it, they've built a pattern, a habit of playing games, you know, every time they get home from work, every time they get home from school. And that habit can become very difficult to break because video games are excellent at creating and reinforcing habits. Mm -hmm. And so that can start, you know, a spiral where they aren't coping with their problems in a positive way. So it's not that the games, you know, corrupted this person, uh, addicted this person. It's that uh, that person didn't get themselves uh, into a, a coping strategy that was positive. And so things spiraled out of control. And then the games, um, then they become something that's super valuable to them because it does bring them some relief and some coping, uh, but it can get out of hand. Um, so that's kind of what I would say. I think that's mostly in agreement with uh, the experts I've talked to have said. Um, so I try not to use the term addiction um, in, you know, because there are people who are doing serious research on it and being able to have a very clinical um, term for it is valuable, uh, but I definitely don't want to discount um, anyone's experience to say that that you know they feel trapped and can't get out of video games. Uh, but I definitely think that finding the root cause of that uh, is going to be more valuable than even you know separating separating them from games may be helpful, uh, but finding the root cause will definitely um, you know looking for a root cause and finding it is definitely the most important thing to do. Absolutely. Because I mean, especially too, as you know, I feel like the instance in my head, the kind of, um, for anything really is when it be, could cross the line into addiction is when it, that activity, be it playing games, drinking too much, uh, you know, doing drugs, whatever that it becomes that crosses the line into the bad thing. I mean, obviously some drugs that you should just never, Touch, but like, what uh, you mean? My addiction to heroin isn't okay, right? Be realistic, <laughs> Never do Jared. <laughs> but like, uh, but what I'm saying is, especially with like things, is like when it be, crosses the line from being something that you can easily like stop, or where it becomes all encompassing and proves either detrimental to your health, well, your health and well being, or the health well being of others, or just the you know, and that can mean from your health, your interaction with other people, being able to carry and sustain a. Uh, you know, carry on and sustain a job, all these different things, you know, and I feel like as the medium grows and as people understand more of what games are and what games have become, you know, a, a lot of us, I feel like, or I'll speak for myself in this instance, you know, playing, wanting to play for several hours a day, you know, was seen as like I was addicted to them, you know, by my parents, because I feel like at the time it wasn't, you know, they didn't grow up with them in the same way that we did. I mean, they, they started coming, you know, video games started becoming more prevalent, but like now here we sit, like I feel like when, uh, when, you know, we have kids and we're, we're playing and our kids are playing it, it's going to be a lot more of an understood thing that it's the same. I look at it as the same as somebody who wants to play video games for three hours, the same way as person who's sitting down and just reads book for three hours. You know, it's, it's just the different form of entertainment and one is not less than the other. You know my favorite catchphrase. Books, Books are, are for, for chumps. chumps. 
They are, indeed. Video <laughs> games are clearly the superior answer to all of your entertainment I'm needs. I'm a visual person. By every measure. You know? Books. Boo. Don't read them, people. <laughs> Don't do it. So, so yeah. So, that'll be that'll be something that I'm interested to see, and I'm really interested then to hear on some of these uh, the episodes that you're going to have with some of these experts and everything, just because, yeah, it's something that I definitely... Uh, because like you said, you don't want to take it, you don't want to make light of it. You don't want to make light of, you don't want to casually say like that person's addicted to it or whatever, because you're right. There are those people who are really struggling with it and not able to come out on the other side. And so, you know, those will be some pretty, uh, pretty interesting episodes, I'm sure. So I'm can't wait, can't wait to look forward to those, uh, to listen to those. But, uh, so switching gears a little bit then to into the more of the social change area with this. So, um, obviously as you know, other other uh, mediums do like that video games can be used to enact social change. You know, a lot of video games. Now there are several, uh, just the ones that bring off the top of my head. There are several video game organizations or even events that are taking place solely for, uh, to earn proceeds for charity or for some specific different causes. Um, multiple, you know, there are like able gamers and I've, and so that's the one that I can think of off the top of my head that just, you know, are geared towards helping all people being able to enjoy games. Um, so what are, what are some other areas then that you've seen or that you've, that you've gone into detail and studied on here that are ways that video games can impact social change? Yeah. So the, like you said, uh, getting video games can be used as a tool for social change, uh, like any other medium. Uh, there's, you know, books that have, you know, started revolutions. There's been, uh, you know, movies that have changed the way that people see a social problem. Um, and there's, there's nothing that says that video games can't do that and more, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, people get involved and immersed in games incredibly. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples, uh, it came up all the time in season one, uh, and it probably will continue to do so for a long time, is Pokemon Go. Mm. And that was a game that was designed with the express purpose of getting people outside and exercising more and exploring the world around them. And guess what? It worked. And I defy anybody to name something that has been as successful as Pokemon Go at getting people outside, uh, getting thousands millions of people from around the world to actually get up and go do something uh when they might not have done that before they might not have been the type of person who goes out at all i know that when i picked it up uh my entire schedule for my life changed (laughs) because (laughs) now i'm going to the park every weekend i'm going out any chance i get um and uh you know and and honestly, Pokemon Go has so many flaws as a game. There's so many ways that it's a bad game, and yet <laughs> it worked. Right. Um, you know, obviously I had the immense power of the Pokemon brand, but still people continue to play it, um, and, and it became huge. Um, another area is um, the way that video games can immerse you in uh, a story and into the experiences of people that you might not otherwise. Uh, I talked with uh, one of the creators of the game, This War of Mine, oh. which if you're not familiar with it. Yeah. I've, that uh, one's been on my, that one, it's on my list. <laughs> yeah, we know that one. <laughs> um, well, for listeners, it's a game that 
is about war, but not about the soldiers battling. It's about uh, the people in the affected area, the the refugees, the people that can't get out of the war zone. How do they survive? How do they get through? And it uh, it really brings to light the struggle of these people because you have to experience it. You have to find food for your people. You have to protect them. You have to make decisions about risking people's lives or um, or doing something that you would normally never consider doing, like murder or stealing, in because the situation is pressing it upon you. And so it puts you in the experience of people who um, who that we don't really think about a lot that are going through immense amount of pain and struggle. And it puts you in there because you care about your characters. You care about succeeding. And every time that one of your characters dies or, uh, or your characters can actually kind of give up and then they stop being productive and helpful because the situation is so pressing upon them. You know, this game kind of shook everyone uh, when it came out because of how intense it was. And um, and games like this can totally change how people feel uh, and allow them to experience emotions that they might not otherwise. Um, and uh, games, and we've only really started to explore how games can do that. And, um, you know, I think that moving on, we'll see a lot more games that like that, that are like that, even though it is a very risky uh, choice for a game maker mm-hmm. um, to to take on such a big challenge like that. But um, I can see video games that can really touch people's hearts. And, and that's another big way that uh, the games can bring about social change. Absolutely. And when we when you when Jarrett told me that the topic was going to be social change, one of the first games that I thought of and that I think fits into what you just said very nicely and what I hope we may see a future similar installment along those same lines is Firewatch from mm. Campo from Campo Santo. So with Firewatch, one of the things that it did that was new to me as both a person and as a gamer is, of course, it landed you into the first-person perspective of your title character, Henry. But what it didn't really tell you about the game beforehand is that you would be playing a character who was essentially trying to escape his own life because his wife had just come down with early-onset Alzheimer's. And it was really a game about his struggle to accept that mm-hmm. and how he would eventually come to deal with that, which was never really you know, nicely wrapped up. The game ended it in a sort of ambiguous way. And something that was very... Uh, unique about that game is how, you know, we always talk about choice-driven games yeah. in the context of things like Dishonored or The Witcher or God of War, where games give you a lot of choice in how you can interact with other characters, but they do it in a way that is often very action-driven and right. often tremendously unrealistic, just as non-realistic as you can possibly get. And it makes that struggle that your character is having feel very distant and feel very intangible. Whereas in the case of Firewatch, there really wasn't much happening in the way of action. The game was sort of telling you the facts. This is your wife. She has Alzheimer's. How do you react to this? And the, the, the reactions were very limited. You know, it was really just dialogue choices. Mm-hmm. But in trying to make those dialogue choices, 
the game forced you to consider, what if this really did happen to me? Alzheimer's happens to thousands upon thousands of people all the time, and if it's not happening to you, you realistically may never think about it. Right. And this was a game that framed that in a very tangible way and really, like, drove it into your heart. Like, I was like, oh, this is just the worst. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how feels, I'm going to deal with heart. this. Yeah, the feels. And something that I'm really excited about for the foreseeable future. I strong, I don't think it's going to happen this year if I'm not mistaken, but potentially 2019. Uh, they're coming out with a new game in the Valley of Gods. Right. Which is also by Campo Santo, and it's going to feature a currently unnamed title character who I believe is female based on what little you can see of her hands. Mm -hmm. And her partner, who appears to be another woman, as they explore the literal Valley of the Gods in Egypt. Right. And I'm very excited to see what's actually going to come to pass with the story of this game, because if it's anything like Firewatch, I'm hopeful that it will touch on some aspects of society and life that the average gamer may never think about. I'm really anticipating that that will be a great experience for a lot of gamers, and I'm very excited about that. And when you were talking about... Uh this war of mine that sounded, you know, brought to attention to me one that um, that kind of had the same impact. Also for me was um, Valiant Hearts: The Great War. I hoped you were going to bring up Valiant Hearts because this one I played a long time ago, and you know it's available on console and computer, but I played it on mobile. And this one, I remember it blew me away because it was one that it affected me on an emotional level more than what I was expecting. Because it's a war game; it takes place in World War One. Is the setting of it. But it very heavily focuses on the effect of family during wartime and like how war pulls families apart. And so, like in this instance, uh, the main character who I'm Emil or I think it's Emil. That sounds familiar. I think that's what you told us. That, I played it so long ago. But he is, uh, you know, he, his daughter is married to a German man. His name is Carl, and when the war begins, Carl is drafted to the you know is forced to go fight for the Germans, and Emil has to go uh, and join the French army, and so it's like this you know father has to fight against could potentially wind up fighting against his son-in-law, and so it was this this whole thing of how he's there to like try to survive, but then he also throughout the course of the game, you wind up trying to rescue Carl and bring him back home. And it's just, it's a highly emotional tale, um, about the, uh, another view of the effects of war other than just like, let's get out there and fight, you know, it's kind of not stuff. all call of it's duty, not all, call all of duty. the time. Um, but then some other games too, that just from that we've, that have sprung to mind with thinking about these implications of more social change and in something else than just an action based, you know, shoot em up is also, um, Rhyme from what you were talking about. Yeah, I thought about that just because of how very much I cried. <laughs> and then <laughs> just so so many tears. And then just another one that that comes to mind also just for its impact on uh, families dealing with, uh, you know, the, having to deal with cancer is the game, the, the independent game that Dragon Cancer that came out oh, that was made by the right. husband and wife team about their son. Oh who, man, even who just had watching the trailer. The trailer was God. rough. <laughs> It's a brutal. Very I don't brutal think trailer. I have the emotional fortitude yeah, to handle wrecked, that just after the trailer. Stuff. So I don't. I can't imagine what the game itself is yeah. like. Yeah. Oh God. Um. So, but other than some things like that, like what? What else? 
maybe let's move on to another thing that kind of like spurred in my mind on this in this area of social change is dealing with uh, gamers and things that that uh, have disabilities and how and the organizations that are out there dedicated to you know helping them be able to enjoy this medium uh you know and obviously like i said there 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 are other organizations out there like able gamers who strive for this you know to try to get research and funding done to help create peripherals controllers and different things like that but i feel like a really big step was made within the last week and probably by 2 weeks ago by the time yeah. this episode goes out but it's still pretty recent news it's pretty recent news is that xbox actually came out with a full fully accessible controller and this is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, dear listeners, that a major publisher, developer, you know, hardware manufacturer has actually created a, you know, an accessible controller. And that is a huge milestone, I feel like. It is. And I do feel like it's long overdue. Very because much so. obviously people have wanted to game for as long as games have been around. And ironically, some of the older technology may actually have been more accessible. For example, when we were talking the other week about old flight simulators yeah. and how you could play those frequently just with a joystick. Think about people who may not have the accessibility of both of their hands or all of their ten fingers and digits. Mm -hmm. The joystick would have been a really accessible way to them to still play games. But as controllers have morphed, they've become very heavily dual-handed, and they often require the use of the majority of your fingers. And for a lot of people in real life, that's not something that they have the physical ability to do. So the fact that there hasn't been already more of an emphasis on accessible gaming, mobility gaming, is kind of shameful. I think it's shameful that it had to take this long, but I am very excited to see, especially from Microsoft of all... Point for Xbox! Point for Xbox! Put it on the board! Point for Xbox! They made an effort! (laughs) So I am excited to see that they're at least addressing this in a very public way, and hopefully this will spur all of the other major publishers and corporations to approach similar research and design initiatives in the near future right mm-hmm. so yeah and uh possibly another point for xbox um i don't know get if it's the been marker out jared it's a historic xbox, day but, <laughs> but uh their avatars they introduced avatars that uh are in a wheelchair or have um but, but two points amputated for arm. xbox uh, holy cow that kind of representation uh is absolutely incredible uh and then like you said actually going to the extent of trying to create a an extremely accessible controller is absolutely huge. Uh, you know, the gaming trends have definitely moved towards uh, very difficult control schemes. You know, when the twin stick shooter was first introduced, it was uh, lambasted for being incredibly difficult to learn, incredibly difficult to play. And now... I mean, if you you're still on PS4 or Xbox... It's just as And now hard. you have that control for Minecraft. You have that control for, uh, you know, games that are supposedly very simple uh, and, you know, kid-friendly, when in reality, they're very difficult for non-gamers or uh, often people with disabilities uh, to pick up. So I think it's absolutely awesome uh, that, that they're making strides to, to be more inclusive. And because, I'll add in this too, uh, last season I talked with um, a, rep- a representative from Child's Play, which is a, an organization that they do a lot of things to um, uh, to raise money from the gaming community. And one of the th- main things that they do is they uh, 
they try to get games and game systems into the hands of kids in hospitals because gaming uh, has uh, great benefits for people who uh, may be cooped up in a hospital bed and they don't have a lot of options for recreation or socializing. And, uh, and not only that, but uh, games, like we mentioned before, are an amazing escape. And they've actually found and proven that games can actually um, allow patients to have the same uh, quality of experience, but take less medication for their pain. The games actually replace, you know, things like uh, opiates that are terrible. I can't um, believe it. <laughs> and uh, that's just absolutely incredible. So um, being able to bring uh, games to more people, uh, I think is going to be just a great thing, uh, and often be exactly what people need. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, and, and it's something that as, you know, as, as, especially as we do this show and everything, like I want to become more involved in and just to, and because, you know, I've said it before on the show and I, you know, and this year I'm for sure going to do it is with the extra life stuff like right. that. You know, that's an incredible organization it raises millions of dollars for, uh, for children's hospitals and everything. And that, and that kind of stuff is just, it's really great to see that now that like, you know, that these, that now it gives us, you know, there have always been like five K's for this or, you know, runs and other ways for these, uh, for these, uh, entertainment things, you know, like, uh, now you kind of, you see a whole lot of stuff too, that, uh, for with before like a big movie premiere or something, those that uh, the actors or something like that. And we will do like the, you know, come eat, you know, come into this contest, do this thing, you know, or buy the entries to come eat dinner with me or something like that, or go to the premiere of Avengers infinity war. But like all the money for that goes to charity and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, there are all these different ways that all these other, uh, mediums have found to be able to contribute to charities and to, and to enact social change. And so it's great to see that we're kind of that, you know, a lot of these corporations have been around for several years, but now it seems it's, it really seems to be building momentum and gathering steam and, and seeing how gaming can now be a big player in these arenas as well. And it's really, it's a really exciting time. I feel like, yeah, for that. this is just a little bit of anecdotal feel good fluff and stuff. Uh, for those of you that are currently or that very recently played overwatch, you may have noticed that blizzard oh, yeah, released yeah, yeah. blizzard released a limited time pay only special edition skin for the character mercy. And you know, her whole thing is she's like an angel. She's a healing support character. And they gave her a special pink skin that made her really kind of look like a really cool, uh, a magical girl mm -hmm. for those of us who grew up on the Sailor Moon and the Card Captor Sakura, and uh, so the whole thing was every time you purchased the skin, your donation, the the funds that you would uh, put down for that skin would go directly to the breast cancer research organization. It is definitively yes, BCRA. Not, yes, yeah, BCRA. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if I had association, maybe. Yeah, I think it's I wasn't sure if I had the last part right. Uh, but so all of those proceeds were going to the BCRA. And one of the really sweet stories that came out of this, it's really popular on Twitter right now, if you follow a lot of Overwatch people, is someone was playing as Mercy in their pink skin online, and one of the other characters on their team was very aggressively spamming at them, thanks, thanks, thanks. And their initial thought was, oh, this is probably someone just trying to butter me up. They want them, they want me to pocket them, to boost them the whole game. Yeah. Come to find out about halfway through the match, the person who was spamming thanks comes on over the mic and it's a kid. 
and the kid is like telling the person playing Mercy, thank you so much for buying the skin. My mom has breast cancer. And seeing all of the pink Mercies in Overwatch makes me feel really good. And I was like crying while I was reading on my phone. Because I was like, oh my God. And the person was like, I about flew off the map through my tears. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I would too, man. But that's just a really nice way to A, get that kind of funding out there for Mm -hmm. the Breast Cancer Research Association. And B, to let people who are peripherally or directly affected by something like breast cancer know that that support in that community is out there. I'm sure that that did have a very impactful, uh, a very emotionally impactful experience for anyone who is going through that or knows someone who's going through breast cancer to know that so many people were on board and supportive of that type of cause. So that's just a little bit of break your heart into kindness for your daily gaming dose. And I'm pretty sure now they're even selling a shirt. Yeah, they had real-life merchandise for people that didn't have the ability or the will to actually purchase the in-game skin. They had a bunch of actual physical merchandise available through the Blizzard store. And again, all of those proceeds, or at least the majority of those proceeds, were going to the Breast Cancer Research Association. So here we go. Another just quick fact on this from uh, denofgeek.com. Overwatch Pink Mercy skin raises almost $10 million for breast cancer research. So that's... That's pretty badass right there. It's pretty awesome. Hmm. And that skin is great too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so Jess, this has been really great, like getting to kind of touch on these. Um, do you, did you have any other like insights into spe- the social change stuff at all that, that like you're kind of interested in digging into uh, some different aspects of this as, you know, as you're going into season two? Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of different stories. You know, one, uh, one that I want to highlight is um, it's, uh, a game called Peacemaker, which uh, was created by Asi Barak and um, and some other folks, that it um, it allows you to um, make decisions in uh, in the space of the um, Israeli Palestinian conflict Ooh. about how are you going to make peace between uh, these groups that have so much history such a complicated relationship and um you know is a game that puts you into the shoes of both sides and you know it's uh and it comes from a c brock's uh experience growing up in israel being part of uh the israeli uh, military service and and his realizations that you know maybe what he thought or believed or maybe how simple he thought it was were really challenged. And then he translated that into a game. And uh, like we mentioned before, being able to engage with these really tough um, issues and not just to experience it or hear about it, but to be a participant in it and to feel the consequences of your actions uh, is really impactful. And that's something that I think games are really great at. And uh, also there's um, lots of um, different efforts out there to use games to uh, get people more civically involved, uh, to get involved with voting, uh, you know, being more uh, engaged in their community. Uh, there's just so many ways that games can be used and are being used to, uh, to get people out and to act and, you know, and, you know, in 
like with the Overwatch example, games give people an opportunity uh, to take an action that other mediums might not be able to do um, because games are all about interaction. They're all about taking action. And um, and I think that uh, games have a great potential to uh, to change society, to see how we view things, to change our relationship with our problems. And I'm really excited to see um, how it develops and, and what comes next. Awesome. We are, t- I mean, so this is like, I'm really excited to listen to all the episodes coming up in, in season two of Plus Seven Intelligence because it sounds like you've got a lot of great stuff uh, in the pipeline. So, uh, so again, that the second season of Plus Seven Intelligence does launch on June 11th. Uh, so, where all can everybody find it? Who wants to go listen? Yeah. So, any uh, under any rock that you find a podcast, I'm pretty much there. Um, uh, Apple Podcast. Um, that's their rebrand of podcast from being in the iTunes store. They're still in the iTunes store, but um, they, uh, the dedicated podcast app for Apple. Um, uh, Spotify uh, now has podcasts. A lot of people don't know that. Um, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, um, pretty much any place that you can find podcasts. Uh, the greatest way, I think, is to go to my website because I have buttons that will take you directly to all of these services and more. Uh, so that's plus7intelligence.com. Um, so spell out plus number seven intelligence.com. And uh, you'll find buttons that will take you right to uh, subscribing on Android, um, uh, subscribing uh, on an Apple device, um, any way that you want to uh, to subscribe, to listen. Uh, that's that's the, the best way to find it. And then... As far as social media goes, uh, the show's on Twitter at uh, at seven underscore intelligence on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook with plus seven intelligence. And um, pretty soon, this is a sneak peek, but there will be a plus seven intelligence Discord. So look nice. forward to that as well. Join that Discord life. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> well, before we do go, so, uh, we do have our soundtrack spotlight for this week, which is coming to us from Chess. He picked out a song for us. So uh, which, what song and game is this one from? Right. So this is a song from the end of Mass Effect 2. It's called Suicide Run. Uh, somewhat of a spoiler for the end of the game in a way. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, as we talked about before with Mass Effect, um, I didn't really plan it. This really was the... the the song I wanted to listen to, but, um, uh, you know, the way that the song, uh, builds on itself and it, you know, slowly grows to be so epic. Um, I played through mass effect two uh, 10 plus times. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Dang. So, <laughs> so I heard that song a lot. And every time I felt kind of the weight of, you know, my character's decisions and, you know, the idea of, you know, there are all these people around me that they have their own agendas, their own struggles, but we've brought them all together for this common good. And it's just so inspiring to me. So, uh, so yeah, I think the song uh, really gives you that feeling of, of epicness and struggle. And, uh, and uh, I really enjoy it. Awesome. So that is from Mass Effect 2, uh, composed by Jack Wall. And the song is Suicide Mission or Suicide Run. And so stick around until after the close and you'll be able to listen to that.
but before we go, Chess, wanted to thank you again so much for coming onto the show. Remember, again, everybody, Plus 7 Intelligence Season 2 is starting June 11th. So go listen, go hear all the incredible guests and content that Chess has lined up for you. But, uh, but yeah, Chess, thanks so much for coming back on and uh, talking with us today. It's been awesome. Love talking with you. Can't wait till next time. Absolutely. I had a blast. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of Team Chat Podcast. Until next time, I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Fairly well. And our guest, Chess Hall of Plus 7 Intelligence. We'll see you all next time. Stick around for the song.